Hi, I'm Rob, and this is Dad Sofa, a podcast about the things that connect us. Whether it is a rained-off attempt at a trip to the pub, or string theory, a cycle to Cornwall, or a chat in the sea, we talk about the stuff of life, what makes us curious, the stuff that connects everything, the spaghetti of life. Come and join us. Get comfy. This is Dad Sofa. At primary school, I remember seeing older kids dancing in a ring, moving around in circles, happily singing a song which has been sung for over 200 years. Ring a ring of roses, a pocket full of poses, a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. A rose-coloured ring rash would appear around the swellings of the bubonic plague, and a pocket full of poses was the supposed protection. Sufferers would be given their poses, and plague doctors would wear them in their pockets, but also stuffed into the noses of the masks that they wore, probably only reducing the smells, but would have offered little real protection. Sneezing was a sign that you were near dead. We all fall down, a sobering thought, given our current circumstances. But there is a lot of controversy over whether this rhyme relates to the plague, and it falls down a little in that the first time it was written in English was published in 1881. There were printed versions in Europe that were published a hundred years earlier though. So what is the truth? One argument that I've not seen is that it is unlikely during such an awful pandemic that children or adults were making up nursery rhymes about it. One way of transmitting information to children would have been through storytelling, and we only need to go through three or four generations before the rhyme appears in print. This to me fits with a possible reason for it appearing later, a combination of tragedy with passing time, and then passed verbally through generations until it appears in print for the first time. Of course it could be that it's a nonsense rhyme, which was a particular genre which appeared during the 19th century, A few years back I read the one amazing source that comes from the last major outbreak known as the Black Death in the UK. August the 3rd. All the way, people, citizens, walking to and fro, inquire how the plague is in the city this week by the bill, which by chance at Greenwich I had heard was 2,020 of the plague and 3,000 odd of all diseases. Mr Marr telling me, by the way, how a maidservant of Mr John Wright's falling sick of the plague was removed to an outhouse and a nurse appointed to look to her, who being once absent, the maid got out of the house, at the window, and run away. This is an extract from Samuel Pepys' diary in 1665. So why did the maid run away? The nurse arrived to find that she was gone. John Wright eventually found her wandering on the common, and in Pepys' words, this frighted him worse than before. The maid was taken away by a pest coach to a pest house which in itself would have been a death sentence, which might explain why she tried to escape. Pepys relates how a brother of Sir Anthony Brown in passing a coach with curtains drawn poked his head through the curtains and saw a lady in sick dress, stinking mightily, who was also being taken away, sick with the plague. By the 31st of the same month, the death rate had risen to 7,496 in a week, but feared to be more than 10,000 because not all could be accounted for. Pepys' account reasons that the poor cannot be taken notice of through the greatness of their number, and partly from Quakers and others that will not have any bell rung for them. The way of counting the dead was from church bells, as the dead were collected for burial. The disease is thought to have been brought to the UK from Gascony by Weymouth in Dorset. The bacteria, Yersinia pestis, being contained in fleas that were found in vermin on board ships. Humans are not well equipped to fight this bacteria, 
which can enter the body in a number of ways. Most often, it was from flea bites, inoculating bacteria, entering the bloodstream directly, which would have caused fairly quick fatality. But most often, bacteria would drain into the lymphatic system, normally designed to protect us, but which allowed these bacteria to multiply in the lymph nodes so rapidly that they would swell to the size of an orange within a few days, so-called bubonic plague, because the swellings were called buboes. The disease was often spread further by well-meaning doctors who would place red-hot irons into the buboes to burst them, which would be extremely painful for the patient and would just release infectious pus that often infected the doctors carrying out the treatment. Unfortunately, this was before the days of the double-blind trial, and so if the patient recovered, the doctor would take this as success. But if they didn't, they would just feel that they'd got there too late. Infected people might sneeze, infecting others via their lungs, a so-called pneumonic plague. In many cases, the time from infection to death was around six days, and as a consequence, whole families were often wiped out within a few weeks. The problem was that the disease spread rapidly in cramped cities, so places like Bristol and London were perfect incubation grounds for infection. It is thought that the only reason that the baby William Shakespeare didn't catch the plague himself was because he was brought up in the countryside in Warwickshire during a pandemic 100 years earlier. It was during this same pandemic that Titian died in Italy, but Shakespeare would have had to have dodged with the risk of infection many times during his life. Much of the spread of this disease came from the trans-Mediterranean trades. These trade lines ran worldwide. Once in the UK, it quickly spread to other towns and cities. One cloth merchant travelled north to a small village in Derbyshire called Eam, six miles north of Bakewell. I went there once and saw the story of tragedy and courage that is still remembered yearly at a memorial service in the village. The cloth that was brought to Eam was infested with fleas and quickly the disease spread, killing the owner of the house, the traveller and a neighbour within a week of each other. 80% of the people of Eam died, but it could have led to a major outbreak in Derbyshire had the village not had a courageous rector called William Montpassant. His wife took their children away from the village, but then decided to return to support her husband. He persuaded the villagers not to flee the village to avoid spreading the infection, but to stay until the plague had run its course. All of the villagers knew what this meant. During the siege, the villagers dropped money for provisions into a stone font filled with vinegar so as not to spread the infection on the coins. You can still visit this small well today. William's wife was one of the many victims, and her tomb can be seen in Eam churchyard now. Montpasson preached in the open air during the time of the plague, on a rock in a dell now called Cucklet Church. Every year the commemorative service is held on the last Sunday in August. It was government policy rather than medical treatment that controlled these pandemics. People who were infected were locked into their own homes, with a red cross painted on the door. Again, this would have been a death sentence. Today we're fortunate that science has moved on. There are examples of effective clinical trials in the Bible, but it is not until 1747 that we see any evidence of double-blind trials, so any experiments prior to that were flawed. James Lynn's scurvy trial is wonderful, even if it only carried out on 12 people. He effectively had five control groups and one treatment group, that is, two people who had oranges and lemons. They were the only people who recovered. This was the first time that we see such a trial show a major advancement in medicine, and since that time such trials have been used to great effect. We also have vaccination now, which enables us to reduce the risk of infection. But of course, just like the Ring of Ring of Roses rhyme, there will be people who agree, and those who are naysayers. 
Our current pandemic has shown how modern medicine can be of great help, and already the vaccination programme for COVID is showing really good results. So while I might have my doubts about the origin of the nursery rhyme, I feel I can be more certain about the progress that has been made in the treatment of microbial disease. The art and science that we produce is informed by what is going on around us at that time. Thank you.